Hello, welcome to the ALEI Podcast. I'm executive producer Josh Raposo. Changes in healthcare are happening constantly. Uh, it's always in the news, um, whether it's from politics, costs, healthcare coverage, it's just constantly there. Um, and most lean thinkers know that lean has become pretty commonplace in hospitals across the U.S. and in many other countries. And while the focus in lean and healthcare should be to create value and safety for patients, it hasn't really begun to lower uh, the cost of healthcare as a whole for the end user or the customer. Recently, Amazon, Warren Buffett, and J.P. Morgan announced that they were forming a new company. This company was going to address the healthcare costs of their employees, and perhaps if it works out, uh, the entire U.S. Buffett was quoted as saying, the ballooning economy of healthcare acts as a hungry tapeworm on the American economy. Our group does not come to this problem with answers, but we also do not accept it as inevitable. Hmm, that quote was really kind of stuck out to me, that part. Our group does not come to this problem with answers. Sounds like uh, Mr. Buffett is doing some lean thinking around that. In a recent article, LEI's CEO, Eric Burens, addressed this tapeworm issue and uh, explored a bit more of this partnership and offered a bit of advice. Today, Eric Burens will be in the studio to talk with our Director of Communications here, Chet Marchwinski, in a segment we call Chet Chats. Chet, take it away. Eric, thanks for coming in. Um, I don't know if our, our listeners know, but besides being LEI's CEO, you are uh, the former COO of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center and the uh, interim CEO there. So you're a healthcare guy. Yeah, I describe myself as a recovering healthcare bureaucrat. So. <laughs> but um, Warren Buffett re- recently called uh, the healthcare system in the United States a tapeworm. Um, and you did a lean post, our blog, uh, replying to that. Uh, you didn't exactly disagree entirely. The healthcare system has some problems. Maybe it's not a tapeworm. It's a pretty vivid image, though, isn't it? Yeah, sure. I mean, is. I'm, sure. I'm not a microbiologist, but a tapeworm is some sort of parasitic organism that lives inside <laughs> and sucks all the nutrients out, right? So, That's right. You know, and, and years ago, uh, I used to be a bit involved in local government in the town that I lived in outside of Boston. And um, one of the things that struck me was how how dramatically healthcare expenditures ate every available dollar in the municipal budget. I mean, despite year after year of attempts to manage things better and divert resources to schools and elder care, the cost of employee health benefits ate everything up. And I think that's a very common experience for employers across the country for various levels of government. Um, So to call it a tapeworm, uh, it's a pretty vivid image, but I don't think it's incorrect. Yeah. Well, your uh, post really provoked a lot of um, comments and and opinions. There are over 20 uh, uh, responses from it. And and I I should mention, like, what what started all this was – uh, Buffett and Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, and Jamie Dimon, CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, are going to get together and try something. We don't know exactly what, yeah. but with their employees to try to improve uh, on this uh, this parasite. So maybe it's not uh, sucking as many nutrients from from the economy. But the um, what was your pre- impression about those comments? Because there was a lot of them, and you re- and you responded to them all too. Well, you know. Uh Nothing gets people going but like a discussion on healthcare, right? Because right. it touches everybody. So I, I wasn't entirely surprised, and I, I, you know, it wasn't that it was such a brilliant column. But I mean, first of all, it's kind of an amazing phenomenon 
I mean, you know, you know your business is going really well when an announcement that you're going to do something without any detail about what it is attracts a huge amount of press attention. That's right, right? and it's so, still getting it. It's so we, getting. we really don't know much of anything at all about what Amazon and Warren Buffett and J.P. Morgan Chase are actually going to do in the healthcare space. We know that they're going to use their own one million employees as a test bed, which is a pretty nice pilot project. Um, if you're going to if you're going to develop a model line, you know, start with a million people. That's that's pretty that, good. That's one way to go. Um, you know, we know they have essentially unlimited resources, and we know that Amazon is among the most technologically sophisticated companies in the world. Um, and I actually just the other day read a really interesting blog post from Werner Vogels, who's Amazon's CTO, talking about how they use lean, and he used all the lean terminology in the development of their software approaches. So, you know, these are these are smart guys. They've got tremendous resources. Uh, they've got you know, partners with global reach and scope. Now, what is it that they're going to do? We don't know much about that. Um, but certainly given Amazon's track record over the last 23, 25 years of disrupting industry after industry, uh, the traditional players in healthcare are nervous, right? Um, and with good reason. And we see a whole lot of merger and acquisition activity in healthcare um, driven simply by anxiety over what Amazon and their partners might have up their sleeve. Okay. There, there were a couple of um, uh, comments by uh, our readers that I thought were really interesting. So I, I, I'd kind of like to get your healthcare expertise sure. and because uh, uh, I'm, I'm sure other uh, listeners will be interested. For instance, there was one post um, where the, uh, the reader was questioning, can waste really be removed from the healthcare system without fixing systemic problems created by self-interest of the medical equipment and drug manufacturers, salespeople, lobbyists. And as an example, I just read an article recently where the, um, uh, the pharmaceutical producers are pointing fingers at the pharmaceutical middlemen, the express scripts of the world, saying, you know, you're taking too much profit. And of course, the middlemen are pointing back and saying, no, it's the pharmaceutical companies. So is, um, as, as someone who's been an executive in healthcare, what's it, can we get beyond these systemic problems? Well, uh, boy, good question, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you know, uh, underneath all of this is a, is a sort of fundamental question about who's the customer in healthcare, right? And, and part of the really, um, a uh, kind of shocking answer to that, I think, is it's not the patient, right? It's uh, not. Um, well, let's think about the system a little differently. Um, most healthcare organizations, who pays the bills for them? It's not the individual patient. Of course, mm -hmm. we're all well aware that we have co-pays to pay, we have insurance premiums to pay, um, but most Americans now, particularly in the last few years, are covered by some sort of healthcare insurance product. Uh, either people forego healthcare or they use insurance. Almost nobody pays the total cost out of pocket. Um, so the overwhelming preponderance of bills for healthcare services are paid by employers in the form of employer-sponsored healthcare or by government. Now, of course, who pays for those costs? Well. 
employer costs are ultimately borne by the consumer that buys their product or service, and government expenditures are ultimately paid by the taxpayer. So ultimately, it all comes back to us as citizens, but that's really quite different than saying that the patient is the customer. I mean, these, these large-scale healthcare organizations respond to the economic incentives of those who pay their bills. Um, the in private insurance companies in the case of commercial insurance, the governmental insurance companies in the case of Medicare and Medicaid. Um, and those, those entities buy their services in certain ways and for certain reasons. And uh, the healthcare system that we all experience was designed to maximize um, the income of the stakeholders in the system relative to those payers. Those customers in healthcare, actually, that's the way they're referred to as the payers. Uh, so, you know, and the, I won't, it, it, would be, it would be glib to say that the interests of the patient are incidental. They're not, right? I mean, we've got millions of incredibly earnest, caring, hardworking people in a healthcare system. But, you know, as we know from our work in many, many industries, you know, you have wonderful people trapped in a system that's not actually designed to produce value for the people it ought to be producing value for, and it creates a lot of distortions. Another reader had the um, uh, question about, would it help if we started paying for outcomes rather than the fee-for-service model we currently have? So instead of going to the doctor or for your annual physical and paying for the injections, the, the, the x-rays and so on and so forth, right. I guess the the way it would work is that a healthcare provider would get a lump sum right. to uh, uh, treat someone's uh, hip replacement. And then if you do a good job, you get to keep, and an efficient job, you get to keep the the money. If you don't and you run over, that that's your that's problem. Right. Can right. we, is that a viable uh, alternative of paying for outcomes rather than the fee-for-service So I'm pretty positive on that. Uh, on that alternative payment mechanism, um, although I'll acknowledge uh, the evidence for it or against it is not entirely clear-cut, and we've been all over the map on this issue in the United States over the last 30 years. But certainly the thinking these days, the, you know, since uh, Obamacare a number of years ago here in Massachusetts, Romney Care, which was sort of the model for uh, the national uh, ACA, the thinking has been you know, there's one problem that we know very well. I mean, the question of are we going to get better results if we pay for outcomes is a bit unknown. What we know for certain um, is what happens when you pay on a unit basis fee for service, right? You get enormous overusage. You get enormous distortions in the market. I mean, I used to say to people at the Beth Israel Deaconess, if you hired a carpenter to build you a doghouse and you paid them for every board and every nail, they would build you the biggest and most expensive doghouse on the planet. Right. Um, and, you know, look, I mean, if you look at the American healthcare delivery system, it's the biggest and most expensive doghouse on the planet. Right. We it's twice as big as anybody else's doghouse um, compared to these other relatively wealthy and developed nations. And I think it's because we're paying for every nail and we're paying for every board. Good point. The uh, another reader suggested. Uh, well, you just mentioned the way we're currently paying is distorting the market. So can we ever get. Uh, can we ever unleash market forces into the system? And I'm thinking of going to buy a car. You, you can you can check the quality. You can check the cost. You can't go online and, and say, you know, okay, I need a, a new hip. 
who does the best job, who does the, the, the cheapest, and who has the best outcomes. But I know that there are, if you're a doctor, you can go someplace right. and probably find that out. So is is that the way it has to remain, or can you know can the public get to the point where we can check quality and cost information? There's actually a fair amount of information out there now, but it's not straightforward. It's not all that easy to navigate for patients. And there's, in some in some ways, there's actually um, a proliferation of that sort of consumer health information. So it leaves the patient in a bit of a quandary about what's the reliable story? Who do I trust? You can find that kind of information on the governmental, the CMS, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services site. They actually rank healthcare provider organizations. They'll give them you know, two stars, three stars, four stars, like Michelin. Um, and there's private entities that do the same thing. But it is a little bit all over the map. There's no, um, there's no easy navigation of that. I will say I think it's a step in the right direction, right? That kind of information was unknown 20 years ago. And in fact, the ethos in the healthcare industry was, uh, what do you mean quality? We're, of course, we're excellent. <laughs> uh, so, uh, See how much we charge? We have it. We <laughs> right. right. Have it. <laughs> you know, uh, that's why we're so expensive. Um, so, you know, I think it's, and no one, no one says that now. No one seriously asserts that. Um, and I think that's a step in the right direction. But I will absolutely acknowledge that it's difficult for the consumer to find uh, reliable and transparent data to compare apples to apples and oranges to oranges. Now, you've been involved in a uh, uh, leading a, a healthcare transformation at, at Beth Israel. And uh, I know in a uh, recent discussion, uh, again, on, on, on the Lean Post, you were talking about it was a, uh, you had some uncomfortable Gemba walks in the beginning. They were and, all uncomfortable. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope I didn't say they got easier. <laughs> yeah. But it was, it was the way... Um, uh, your your mentor, your your uh, sensei, so to speak, decided to uh, train you was you you're going to get out of the classroom and and go out there and visit the wards, the departments, and and, and so on. Uh, but what what was so uncomfortable in the beginning? Well, um, I think it took me a long time to realize this, but w- what made me uncomfortable was me. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, the as we know from all of our efforts to do this work, to bring lean thinking and practice. The technical part is the easy part. The hard part is changing leader behavior, right? And my own impulse to go to where the work is being done and think I understood what was going on or that I had the answers um, was and is pretty powerful. In fact, Chet, if you watch carefully, you'll see me do this on almost a daily basis here at LEI, right? So it's, you know, it's still something that I think anybody, anybody who came up in a system with the expectation that leaders have the answers struggles with the, with the impulse or the need to unlearn that and learn how the work is actually performed and where the value is and the waste is to learn that from the people that are doing the work. So, you know, and look, for their part, the frontline folks, uh, they grew up in that system too, right? They're used to having leaders do a drive-by and uh, take complaints and give them answers, right? Oh, you can't find any wheelchairs on your floor? Um, I'll snap my fingers and fix that problem for you. You know, see you next year, right? Mm-hmm. That's a very, um, that's, a, that's a system that everyone is used to. 
a system that people aren't used to is uh, to ask the five whys um, about why can't you find a wheelchair on the floor and to to try to em to start to empower the people doing the work to ask those questions to lead it where it goes to root cause um, and to begin to generate their own answers um, and to have leaders get out of the way so that's an uncomfortable process I think for everybody and it certainly was for me as a leader um, so it's a personal transformation as much as a um, uh, all personal and management transformation yeah, the technical part, as I said, is the easy part. The the, the and even transitioning the management system. Um, I mean, I think we we teach and we train on uh, you know uh, coaching katas and fake it till you make it, and I think that's really that's there's a lot to be said for that. But it, in some ways, it never gets easy. Mm. So because but, it is a transformation. And it wasn't just you. I remember you saying that there were some. Uh, well, there was one one anecdote. Maybe you can fill the listeners in about, uh, you, uh, you go into the cafeteria and a, um, a doctor who is the head of a department, he's a member of the uh, Academy of Sciences, and um, you had a conversation with him on the pizza line. Can yeah, you tell he us was, about uh, you know, as part of our, our uh, introduction to lean thinking and practice, we had, um, you know, there was readings in classroom and conversation, but there was also go to the Gemba, and this uh, this doctor was uh, at lunchtime, uh, wearing a hairnet behind the counter in the pizza line, drawing a spaghetti diagram of how the kitchen workers, what their walking path was from the pizza oven to the serving line and so forth and so on. And, you know, when I encountered him, it was pretty hot in the kitchen, but I think I could still see steam coming out of his ears. He, he was pretty irate about it, pointed out the fact that he was a member of the National Academy of Sciences and that this was an enormous waste of his time. But, you know, the, the, one of the things that was so striking about being involved with those people and in that process was by the end of a six or eight week deep dive into principles of lean and that sort of work, this guy um, actually, you know, ported a lot of our curriculum into his own residency training program and incorporated, he used the first week of residency training for these incoming newly minted MDs um, to teach himself uh, an introduction to lean thinking. So, you know, somewhere along the line, he got over uh, his aggravation at uh, drawing the spaghetti diagrams and realized there's something here. Yeah. Um, and that my my young trainees need to be immersed in this. That's quite a change. There was also in the um, uh, in your response to uh, Bezos et al. You uh, you gave them advice, three things, and if I can summarize, it was the um, uh, the goal must be healthier outcomes. That's what they should be uh, focused on, not more tests or more hospital admissions. Uh, use technology to improve quality and the experience of care. And your third point was that uh, you advised Bezos, Buffett, and Diamond to listen to the people who, uh, quote, want to heal. So what would they hear if they actually asked the people uh, who want to heal? What do you think they would say? They'd hear an enormous longing on, on the part of the caregivers, whether doctors or nurses or technicians or housekeepers, to be allowed to do the work that drew them to healthcare in the first place, which was to provide for the patient. Uh, but what brought all those people, almost, and almost everybody who lasts for any period of time in healthcare, what brought them there was 
um, a desire to serve and a desire to heal. And, you know, with all of the anxiety that institutional change causes in any organization, one thing that I always found was that if you could uh, if you could make it clear to folks providing the care that what we were really after here was to get the obstacles out of the way so that they could spend time with the patient, right? That was incredibly powerful. I mean, we, we found time and motion studies of nurses in big inpatient hospitals like ours that showed that on average they spend something like 11 minutes per hour at the bedside with the patient. What are you doing all the rest of the time? Well, they weren't watching television, mm-hmm. right? They were, they were doing stuff that in most cases didn't really add value to the patient and felt to them like they were being called away from what brought them to healthcare in the first place. So that impulse is, you know, the impulse to heal the patient is very powerful and very positive. And I think healthcare leaders need to recognize all the time that if they, that's, those are the hum- the humans in their organizations that they are dealing with, and they need to find ways to get management out of the way and let the healers heal. Great comment. Eric, thanks a lot for uh, coming by and participating, and I'm sure we'll be visiting the topic again of Lean in Healthcare. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Chet. If you have feedback, show ideas, or questions for Lean Thought Leaders, please send them to pod, P-O-D, at lean.org, and maybe we can address them on a future show. Once again, that's pod, P-O-D, at lean.org for all your questions, feedback, and anything else you'd like for us to know. Thanks for listening.